0: Please listen carefully.
1: Hi to all you boys and girls out there in podcast land. As you know, in this first season of the show, we're looking at the theme of how to find your voice as an artist and develop a signature style. In pursuit of that latter objective, we're going to be looking at filmmakers who have very distinctive styles. When you see just a few seconds of their work, you know it's one of their films. I'm calling it Filmmakers with Style. And first up to bat are the Coen brothers. You will definitely want to listen to this week's post-credits bonus segment, as show guest and music video director Isaac Dietz and I get into an intriguing conversation about that famous coin toss gas station scene from No Country for Old Men. I'll also share how you can get access to my extended Cohen Brothers discussion with all of today's guests. Also, if you haven't done so yet, please hop on over to songfreedom.com radio and unlock your free standard gold level license worth $30. You need look no further than Song Freedom to find a wide array of music you can legally license for your short films, corporate videos, and wedding films, including pop chart hits and oldies but goodies. Lastly, the Coen Brothers are known for telling great stories. Telling great stories is essential for any filmmaker. That's why I'm thrilled that the Muse Storytelling Process from Still Motion is available to all of my listeners at $47 off if you go to LearnStory.org and use the offer code RADIO. This is the same process that took them from shooting weddings to shooting the Super Bowl and eventually winning five Emmys. There's no guarantee you'll win Emmys. But if you do corporate work, weddings, or documentaries, your work will be elevated and you just may be able to boost your rates by like a lot. So go to learnstory.org and use offer code radio. We thank Song Freedom and Muse Storytelling for their support. Quiet
2: on the set. You
1: take 10, and action. You're listening to Dare Dreamer FM, the sound of creative expression. This is a true story. At the request of the survivors, the names have been changed. Out of respect for the dead, the rest has been told exactly as it happened. That is an excerpt from the haunting opening title sequence of the 1996 Coen Brothers written and directed film Fargo which went on to be nominated for five Oscars, including Best Picture. Winning two, Best Actress in the Leading Role for Frances McDormand as the iconic Sheriff Marge Gunderson, and Best Original Screenplay for the Coens. And every word of it is false. Yep, in true Coen Brothers style, that opening title card is all part of the offbeat storytelling that kind of throws you for a loop. Based on my research on Snopes.com and other pop culture review sites, there was a 1987 case of Hell Crafts, a Minnesotan woman who went missing and was presumed murdered by her husband Richard. Richard was having a long lasting, lurid affair. When Hell started divorce proceedings, Richard supposedly arranged for her untimely demise. After Hell went missing, Richard had claimed she was visiting her mother in Denmark. A call to her mother later revealed that Hell was never there. On December 31st, 1989, it was discovered that Richard indeed murdered his wife and fed her body into a woodchipper. So the woodchipper part is true. And according to Ethan Cohen, the script pretends to be true. And if you read the very end credits, you'll see the common disclaimer that the events and places in this film are made up and any resemblance to real life people and places is a coincidence. Nonetheless, for years it was assumed the movie was absolutely true. The current TV show even has a similar title card. It's rather comical that more journalists didn't do some basic investigative reporting to determine the truth about the case. It's almost as if we're all living in a Coen Brothers movie, because that's just the kind of silliness and stupidity that would happen in a Coen Brothers film. That entire community would believe all the crazy, blood-drenched, and circus-like shenanigans they see in a movie just because the movie said it was true. We become their characters, the Gopniks, the Lundegards, the Finks, and Dudes of the world. When you think about filmmakers that you've seen, like who would you say comes the closest of having work that feels the most original.
3: The Tone Brother guys, to me, are more inventive and more original than most filmmakers.
1: That's Atlanta music video filmmaker Nathan Corona. Nathan has worked with Grammy award-winning artists and has a nostalgic and personal feel to his work. He's the kind of respected filmmaker, when you ask him about a topic related to the craft, you listen. When I spoke with him last summer, I asked him which contemporary filmmakers inspire him.
3: They're doing these different genres and even within genres they're they're doing things that um, are unique to those genres. So like they'll do a movie like Fargo which is another movie I can watch almost any time it comes on, on television. Um, you have a movie like that which is very deep, um You know, it's a terrible story. I mean, it's just, you know, it's a tragedy. Um, But in the midst of that, it's very entertaining in terms of, like, it's sort of a comedy. And you sort of, like, um, can smile a bit in in a weird way. I mean, it's not a comedy, like, laugh out loud, but it's entertaining. And um, so I feel like those guys, each time they do a film, they change just a little bit what their angle is or what they're trying to say and to me that's like original and hard to do
1: today on the show we're going to talk about the coen brothers and what we as filmmakers and artists can learn from their success i'm ron dawson and this is radio film schools a filmmaker's journey
0: For me, I think they're more hit than miss. Uh, from my perspective, I, I loved A Serious Man uh, was good. I think I'm always just intrigued by what they do.
1: That's David Griffin, host and writer of the movie, comic book, and game review sites Screen Rant and Think Hero. David also occasionally guest spots on one of my favorite entertainment and movie YouTube shows and podcasts, Collider Movie Talk. That's where I first saw him. I knew he'd have some good insight into this conversation. What would you pinpoint about their work that makes them so special?
0: Uh, I think, you know, and I I don't know if you've you've seen this too, Ron. I think, you know, you and I both come from obviously uh, religious backgrounds. Uh, Cohen Brothers are, of course, you know, Jewish. But I think because I lived in the Midwest for a while, they're from Minnesota. And they do put theological undertones in their their films. So I think I kind of... Pinpoint those, whereas I don't mm-hmm. think Tarantino. Tarantino doesn't really deal with religion. Right. That's not his thing, which is which is fine. He he doesn't yeah. deal with religion, but the Cohen brothers always have a little bit of religion in there. You do know there's so, always yeah. something like with right, like a, a serious man is almost like the story of Job in a way, kind of you know. And there's other films that they do where they reflect those those old stories from 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 the Bible, and uh, I, I like that about them because of just a theology student in me. I love studying theology, so uh, I
2: think I enjoy that about them the most. It's not necessarily religious in a sense of like a worldview as much as it's rooted in like the old time religion.
1: No doubt by now, you regular listeners recognize the voice of my friend and colleague, Brandon McCormick, co-founder and director of Whitestone Motion Pictures in Atlanta, Georgia. As a lover of cinema, an award-winning filmmaker, and teacher and mentor to our team of aspiring filmmakers, Brandon has a wealth of knowledge about the Coen Brothers.
2: And it's a construct of a worldview that can be uh strange or mystic or and misguided or or whatever um but if your character believes that it can rain frogs because that's in the bible then it can rain frogs like that makes sense to them um and if the you know the uh the the Although that was a PT Anderson movie right but it, it, yeah but it, i mean i think that, oh, here's making, maybe that's a that's an example, example. I he, he, they use the plagues in the Fargo first season. Like it's really right. what you're saying. Like it's yeah. like biblically goes down. And there's a lot of illusion mm-hmm. and I think the other thing too is like, especially in in America specifically, mm-hmm. there's a Judeo-Christian understanding, mm-hmm. regardless of how much you're involved in in Christianity, um, of just like, oh, we get that. Like uh, I, you know, what Moses and Noah's Ark and I mean, you, you may not know the philosophical whatever, but, you know, there's a guy named Jesus who dies and comes back in some capacity. And so it's really a, it's an iconic thing that I think it's a worldview you can build off of. And then when you tie it to the old-timey religion, which I think is, if you go back to some Southern Gothic, you go back to some of, like, the Flannery O'Connor, who I bring up in everything I talk about, um, you know, their worldview of that hard Old Testament God who kills the firstborn... Well, that means they can do that, or like they—they they feel like that worldview is very different, um, and they can. There are things allowed in that world—a brutal or harsh thing—that um, they can—they can, you know, kind of uh, re, uh, react to. I mean, you know, that they have at least a Jewish background.
1: I don't know if they mm-hmm. were practicing Jews or whatnot, but you have to imagine that. Growing up that they probably went through a lot of the same kind of
4: mm-hmm.
1: uh processes that a lot of Jewish boys go through, you know with the bar mitzvah and everything and old testament uh, right exactly, and you know kind of like you have recovering Catholics who mm-hmm. kind of harken back to the experiences they had growing up in a very strict Catholic environment, you know i I kind of see some of that. For lack of a better word, Jewish guilt sometimes up on the screen or if not Jewish guilt experiences that Jewish filmmakers have had that they kind of express in their filmmaking in one way or another, Um, whether it's some type of latent um, remembrance of some of the teachings that they had or wanting to kind of make commentary on some of the teaching that they had. Or if it's an homage to a culture or whatnot. But yeah, I think it's interesting that it is something that comes up
5: frequently in Cohen Brothers' work. Can I share something with you? Because I too have had the feeling of losing track of Hashem, which is the problem here. I too have forgotten how to see him in the world. And when that happens, you think, well, if I can't see him, he isn't there. He's gone.
1: In The Cohen*, to Serious Man, Michael Stelberg plays Larry Gopnik, a sort of modern-day Job, looking for purpose in life and an answer to a series of marital, financial, and family problems he's having. In this scene, he's come to find consultation from a senior rabbi, but has to meet with a junior rabbi instead, played by Simon
5: Helberg. You just need to remember how to see him, am I right? I mean, the parking lot here... Not much to see, but if you imagine yourself a visitor, somebody who isn't familiar with these autos and such, somebody still with the capacity for wonder, someone with a fresh perspective, that's what it is, Larry, Um, because with the right perspective, you can see Hashem, you know, reaching into the world. He is in the world, not just in Shul. It sounds to me like you're looking at the world, looking at your wife through tired eyes. It sounds like she's become a sort of thing. This is life. You have to see these things as expressions of God's will. You don't have to like it, of course. The boss isn't always right, but he's always the boss. (laughs) That's right! Things aren't so bad. Look at the parking lot, Larry. Just look at that parking
4: lot. Oh, Please bring me Please
1: Larry Gopnik's quest to find meaning in his life's bows is not unlike our quest to find meaning in the Coen Brothers movies. Sometimes it's more obvious than others. But their stories are all so different, and they hit us in so many different ways. And those of us who are passionate about Coen Brothers films want people to know which ones they feel are the most meaningful.
6: Well, it's interesting. I mean, I I saw this article the other day that that was the headline was, why do we feel the need to rank the Coen brothers movies?
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's Clark Wolf, a self-proclaimed nerd, actress, host, and entertainment journalist. She too is a frequent guest on Collider Movie Talk.
6: And I was kind of like, you know what? That's a great Point. because as I was going through their filmography as directors I was just like god each one is so different from the next I mean sure you could put you know certain like they like to do certain screwball kind of comedies you could put that in a, in a Coen Brothers category and then you could put like a dark twisted drama in a Coen Brothers category and and you know so on and so forth but you know, when I was going down the list, like the of the ones that I particularly like, like Raising Arizona and Fargo and Lebowski and mm-hmm. O Brother and The Man Who Wasn't There and No Country and True Grit, I was just like, "Wow, I can't compare these movies." Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, and so for me, like there, are, I have no problem saying that there are Coen Brothers movies that I do not like. So. With the Coen Brothers, you know, for me, my favorite is definitely No Country for Old Men. Really? Um, Interesting. Why? Yeah. Because it's a horror movie.
1: (laughs) It's a horror... Uh, Yeah, it does have that sense, but why... Like, would you honestly call it a horror movie, or are you just saying it has... Horror, horror elements. Ch- horror elements.
6: No, no. I I make the argument a lot. It's um, mm. it's something that I call sneaky genre, and uh, it's movies that present themselves as one thing but are actually secretly something else, or television shows too. Um, and uh, and I would argue, and we can do a whole other podcast on this if you want, but uh, but I would argue, No Country for Old Men is absolutely a horror film, Why? and Anti Sugar, well, because if you want to think about in very obvious terms, Anton Sugar played by Javier Bardem mm-hmm. is no different from Michael Myers or the shark in Jaws mm-hmm. or any of these unstoppable forces that are coming for you no matter what. What's
7: the most you ever lost on a coin toss? Sir? The most
4: you ever lost on a coin toss? I don't know, I couldn't say. Call it. Call it? Yes. For what? Just call it. Well, we need to know what we're calling it for here. You
7: need to call it. I can't call it for you. It wouldn't be fair.
4: I didn't put nothing up.
7: Yes, you did. You've been putting it up your whole life. You just didn't know it. You know what date is on this coin? No. 1958. It's been traveling 22 years to get here, and now it's here, and it's either heads or tails,
4: and you have to say, call it. Look, I need to know what I stand to win, everything. How's that?
7: You stand to win everything, call it.
6: Plus, hmm. you know, when I, think about, um, when I think about the sound cues, you know, the idea that it's, if I'm not mistaken, all diegetic sound in that movie. I noticed that. What's you know, diegetic? Uh, So diegetic sound is sound that occurs naturally in a scene, oh, so okay. it's, there's no score um, or there's no added, you know, uh, you know, music for effect, and um, it's stark and it's haunting, and it was like because I was watching it in the theater and I was like, why am I liking this so much? Why is this working for me? And then I realized, oh my god, they made a horror movie, and by the wow. way, they they have said as much. You know, you can find interviews where where I, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, they've said it's their it's their, you know, Unstoppable Force movie. And I know a filmmaker friend of mine has has relayed that information to me as well, that they've said that. But, um, And then there are, there are better reasons than what I'm giving now. But it's, I think it's definitely a horror film.
1: I thought Clark's outlook on No Country was an interesting one. So I asked my buddy Isaac Dietz what he thought. Isaac is yet another crazy talented Atlanta filmmaker who shoots music videos for Grammy award-winning Christian hip-hop artists like Lecrae and Propaganda. He's a devourer of film education with incredible insights into the craft. Here's his take on No Country for Old Men as a horror story.
8: I could see that. Yeah? Yeah. I, it's so many different things because I think the Coen brothers would tell you it's a comedy at times too. And it's also a thriller. And it's, so it's like, I don't know if it really leans on one side of any genre at all Mm -hmm. and again that's their that's because they're subtle it's like they're not telling you kind of what genre you're supposed to expect it very much has the horror elements because they set up sugar so well that he will kill for anything that when you see him with the old man you're like oh no this guy seems so nice right you're just scared to death for this guy because of they set up that character so well um so I don't know if they, I, I could definitely see, I, I think anyone could tell me, besides it being a musical, I think it could hit any other genre, you know? Right. And somebody could tell me it's this genre, this genre, and I'd be probably like, yeah, I could see that. I mean, there's definitely funny elements in it. Um, and they do it well. they They blend tones really well, which is like one of the hardest things to do. They're not afraid of being subtle. Um, oh,
1: yeah, yeah. Tell me about that.
8: And I think they're really good at, like, letting things simmer and being very, like... So, like, in in comedy, a lot of times people will, like, depend on the rim shot. And the rim shot's there to, like, tell you that there's a joke. <laughs> right. Um, so, like, with Family Guy, they... Without the rim shot, they tell you there's a joke by the delivery of that joke. And uh, with, like, old-school Simpsons, they just say the joke and move on. And you have to be really paying attention. And I feel like the Cone brothers are the same with drama. And even comedy, too, is, like, they don't tell you when to laugh. They don't tell you when like... They don't tell you, hey, you should be thinking of this right now. They just put it there and then keep the movie going. And... Basically, if, if, I, if somebody were to watch a Coen Brothers movie for the first time, the only thing I'd tell them is, like, pay attention. Like, things are going to slip by you if you're not paying attention. And I kind of love that, that they're kind of forcing their audiences to, like, not be on their phones uh, during their films, you know? yeah even their comedy is so subtle that it just like moves on like Big Lebowski I watched that and the first time I saw it I I wasn't even laughing I was just kind of trying to keep up with the story right then the second time I saw it I was like oh my gosh this is so funny it's just so like there's so many things coming at me but like subtly (laughs) so um yeah I think I think they just don't tell you like hey that was a cool camera angle or that was a really cool edit They they don't draw attention to anything, even themselves.
1: When we come back from the break, we'll delve a little deeper into what makes the Coens work so signature and why it seems like everyone in Hollywood wants to be in their films. Stay tuned.
7: Here in Capitol. Let's put a stop to that rumor.
3: Right now. Yeah, we got a treatment on it yet? No,
5: not yet, Jack. We just bought the story.
3: Saturday evening post. Ah, the hell with the story. <clears throat> Wally Beery is a wrestler. I want to know his hopes, his dreams. Naturally, you have to get mixed up with a bad element. And uh romantic interest. You know the drill, a romantic interest or else a young kid, an orphan. What do you think, Lou? Wally a little too old for a romantic interest?
7: <coughs> Look at me. A writer in the room, and I'm asking Lou what the goddamn
4: story should be.
1: In that clip from the Cohen's 1991 film, Barton Fink, character actor Michael Lerner plays head of Capitol Pictures, Jack Lipnick, which, by the way, is the same studio in their current picture, Hill Caesar. Mr. Lipnick doesn't appear to have the best skills when it comes to telling a good story. But he obviously thinks he does. My hope for you is that your ability to tell meaningful stories can far exceed that of Mr. Lipnick. So if you're a documentary, wedding, or corporate video filmmaker, you gotta check out Muse by Still Motion. Muse is the storytelling process they've used to achieve international acclaim and garner five Emmys. They look at the four P's of every good story—people, place, plot, and purpose. Theirs is an in-depth training and exercise process of developing these four P's to tell remarkable stories. The result will elevate your craft and give you the ability to charge more for your work and attract a more sophisticated clientele. Here's a short excerpt from their promo film.
5: Muse brings together ideas put forth by philosophers and scientists across time. It's backed by psychological and neurological studies on human connection. And it's been put to the test by Stillmotion and filmmakers across the globe. Learn with a rich online course, lifetime access that's accessible on any device. More than just tutorials, you can download transcripts and audio-only versions. Plus there are worksheets and discussions. Case studies
6: that deconstruct movies and commercials you've seen to show you why they're effective.
5: And story guides, who are here to answer questions and support you in learning the process.
1: Muse has a special offer for Radio Film School listeners. Go to LearnStory.org and use the offer code RADIO to get $47 off lifetime access. And the first 88 people to sign up will also get their ebook, The Story of Story, a $97 value. Now you know, once you tell a good story with video, you're probably going to need a killer song to go with it. Why spend hundreds, even thousands of dollars licensing music? Song Freedom has a huge variety of music from every genre, starting as low as $29. And if you go to songfreedom.com slash radio and use the offer code radio, you'll unlock a one-time standard goal-level license worth $30. We thank Song Freedom and Muse for their support.
4: All right, all right, let's try this. Your line, just say it as I say it. Say your line exactly as I'm Mm -hmm. about to. Okay, sure. Would the tuteur so simple? Would the tuteur so simple? Would the tuteur so simple? Would that it were. Watch my mouth. Would that it were so simple. 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 My oh, dear boy, why do you say that? Why do you say twer? Well, you said say like I say uh, yeah, Yes, but... Would that it were so simple. No, 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 to be twer- lingering. It's interminable, the word. I'm wondering when it'll end. Then we shouldn't be wondering, should be. We should be marching right along to so simple. Would that it were so simple, trippingly. Would that it were so simple, trippingly. No, don't say trippingly. Say the line trippingly.
1: I never get tired of watching that clip from the Coen's latest picture, Hail Caesar. In that scene, Capital Pictures director, played by Ray Fiennes, is trying to coach his cowboy actor to say that simple line. Unfortunately, it apparently is not that uh, simple. Hail Caesar has an amazing cast. George Clooney, Josh Brolin, Scarlett Johansson, Channing Tatum, Jonah Hill, Tilda Swinton, Ray Fiennes, Francis McDormand, of course, and Alden Ehrenreich as the actor in that scene. Hey, as a fun side note, according to StarWarsNewsNet.com, Alden is on a short list to play a young Han Solo in the forthcoming standalone anthology series about our favorite space cowboy, who always shoots first. Anyways. The Coens are one of those filmmaking auteurs who are able to attract literally the biggest stars on the planet at pennies on the dollar. What is it about their work that makes them so attractive to the hottest names in Hollywood? In my conversation with Brandon McCormick from Lights from Motion Pictures we discussed it. I like to kind of call them any filmmakers that are able to work with Hollywood budgets. I mean they don't get, obviously they don't get Michael Bay-sized budgets, but they're almost—I mean, they—they're kind of like ingrained in the Hollywood system, but they still kind of feel like indie filmmakers. You know what I mean? They're—they're mm-hmm. they're the kind of filmmakers that you know, stars like Clooney and you know Scarlett Johansson, people who can probably command you know fifteen, twenty million dollars or more. Obviously, don't get those fees for a Coen Brothers film because they want to be in a Coen Brothers film. It's kind of like how. I guess kind of like you know how um, Woody Allen is another filmmaker. I think like the, the right. kind of filmmaker that everyone wants to work for at some point, and they're willing to take a pay cut to do it. Um, sure. Why Why do you think that is? Like, what is it about the Cohens that appeals
2: to actors? I can only guess, uh, but I think you know part of that is they have a very strong vision of what they want to do, and it's awesome it really kind of the um auteur style i think anybody who has that oh that is their style and it's very distinct and you know when you're watching a coen brothers movie when you're watching bridge of spies you know which scenes they wrote you know the opening scene with uh tom hanks you're like that's a coen brothers scene uh and spielberg even says that in his interview he's like yeah that's their scene that's them they showed up and they that scene is theirs uh it's got their own distinct style and it's different and it's strange and i i think they also Uh, It kind of goes back. This might be weird and maybe I I might be totally off, but it kind of goes to their general rule of like ugly people or strange people. Um, Mm -hmm. Like if you remember a brother, George Clooney showing up in that film was very against type. Mm -hmm. He'd never done anything like that. And I, 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 you know, he was the ER dude and then he did some romantic comedies with like, uh, uh, um, and I don't remember where Ocean's 11 fell, but he was a cool guy. And then he does this kind of, bumbling idiot uh you know dude uh who's very strange and i think that i would assume that that's appealing to actors i love seeing their cast lineup it's always going to be varied it's always going to be weird and different uh and i i can't wait to see this film and see how they play most of these if not all of these characters against type uh and i would assume that's attractive to uh, an actor here's clark wolf again with more
1: insight into the coen's appeal
6: i know the word auteur gets thrown around a lot but i i absolutely believe that the coen brothers are their own brand their own style um and you know look i mean in terms of like obviously yes Writing styles and themes, of course, but they also have, you know, an, an acting troupe for lack of a better term. You know, yeah. lots of the same players sort yeah. of show up, and and that's that also, you know, is sort of it tells your brain, oh, this is a Coen Brothers movie, right? There's that's that true. guy, yeah. um, or or that lady, or whomever. So so yeah, I mean, they they are they are so unique um, to themselves. Um, it's just very hard for me. Like like I could easily. Uh, you know as a fan rank um Quentin Tarantino's movies in my in my in my brain right i could be like okay this is these are the ones i think are the best these are my favorite you know and and i wouldn't feel like i was comparing apples to oranges um with the coen brothers i mean you know i could say oh no country for old men is my favorite and somebody else could say well raising arizona is a comedy classic and and they, we would both pro- be right you know so so it's very hard for me to to put them all together for them because they are so different. They're just so eclectic um, that, that I find them very interesting. Um, but I am also not one of those people who will go, oh, it's a Coen Brothers movie? Yes, I'm gonna go see it.
1: Often here at Coen Brothers described as like hit or miss with a lot of uh, people. Um, are they are they like that for you, or or do you pretty much
2: like all the work that they do? No, for sure. I they are definitely hit hit miss for me. I think I think though that's intentional on their side um, hmm. uh, in some ways because uh, I've heard Spielberg talk about I make some movies for me and I make some movies for you. You know, Jurassic Park is for you and Munich is for me, um, uh, and I think they do that as well. So maybe Oh Brother is for you. Uh, a serious man is for them, and they're okay with it not being super popular. I think you know, Inside Lewin Davis is for them. There's something that resonates with them. I, I like the movie, okay. I don't really love it. Nick, on the other hand, uh, a musician, loves that film. Right, right. Resonates with him on a different level. So they're okay. Not like you know, they're okay if you don't get it in some ways. Uh, they're they're not trying to make hugely accessible films mm-hmm. in general. So it is going to be hit and miss for people because. I will resonate with O Brother and I won't resonate with Lewin Davis and I think they're cool with that. I don't think they're... Versus, you know, with some people trying to say, all right, we need to have the biggest audience possible. We need to appeal to everybody. Um, and that's a great way to go about it and uh, it's Pixar, you know, we want to everybody from nine to 90 years old, we, we want to include, we're inclusionary. Um, and I think some of the other filmmakers are definitely more exclusionary. Uh, I mean, Tarantino's a great example. He doesn't care if everyone likes his movie. Like, really doesn't care. He knows the people that like it will love it. Uh, and the people who don't will just uh, either hate it or won't like it at all. And I don't think he's like, oh, man, not everybody liked my movie. I just don't think he cares at all. And I think the Coen brothers have some of that possibly. And I think with the Coen brothers, it's intentional. I don't think that they're trying to knock it out of the park in some way every time. I think they're okay with Serious Man reaching a certain audience, and that's cool, and that's success to them.
1: Here's the opening clip from the -the behind-the-scenes documentary on the making of No Country for Old Men.
3: I'd say it's a road movie, or it's a horror film. A lot of killing goes on.
4: It's a very emotional ride. It's a very primitive ride. It's a crime story.
3: The Mexican brown
8: dope. In some ways, it's a Western because of the terrain and the setting. In some ways, it feels a
3: little bit like a noir. There's a good deal of humor in it, so you could call it a comedy.
6: You know how many people I know in El Paso, Texas? That's how many.
7: It's a very powerful story about violence where any option can be taken. Where are you going? I don't know.
3: I'd say it's um, a harder comedy chase. Who are these people?
6: I think it's a Coen Brothers film. Go Gollum. They're their own genre.
1: Kelly McDonald's comment sums it up. I think it's a Coen Brothers film. They're their own genre. The acclaimed cinematographer Roger Deakins has worked on 11 Coen Brothers films, more than half their filmography. He's a revered and respected cinematographer who has worked with the best directors in the business. Isaac was reflecting on an interview with Deakins he recently saw.
8: I saw a little thing, a Roger Deakins interview on TV real quick and He said this thing that I wrote down, I was like, we're in an age that technique is more important than emotional reaction, and that's not a good thing. And I was like, whoa, that's such a stab at like, like Vimeo filmmakers. And I say that respectively, like, but there's so many times we're just trying to just get this technique down or, hey, this is the newest camera, this is the newest. And you and I have talked about this a lot before. It's just the idea of, like, it doesn't matter what you're shooting on. Really, it matters is like, what story you're telling and how you're telling it and what emotional reaction you're getting.
1: However you feel about the Coen Brothers films, whether they are a hit and miss for you or if you believe their whole filmography is required viewing, one thing you can't deny is that a Coen Brothers film elicits emotion. It always generates a conversation. Love it or hate it, when you come out of a Coen Brothers film, you will be talking about it. I think that's a noble goal every artist should strive for. That you create work that moves people. They may not like it, but they'll be moved nonetheless. So, my fellow filmmaking friends, I challenge you. I implore you. Create work that stirs emotion. That moves the soul. That gets people talking. Don't try to please everyone. Remember, sometimes the voice of God is heard in a whisper, not a hurricane. You don't have to beat your audience over the head with your theme. Don't be afraid to give them the benefit of the doubt. And lastly, remember, whether you're telling narrative fiction or documenting real people, create or focus on memorable characters.
6: I want you to tell me what these fellas looked like. Well, the little guy, he was kind of funny looking. In what way? I don't know, just funny looking. Can you be any more specific? I couldn't really say. He wasn't circumcised. Was he funny looking apart from that?
1: Stay tuned past the credits for a bonus interview excerpt with Isaac about that coin toss scene from No Country for Old Men. Baby, please don't go. Baby, please don't go. Radio Film School is a production of Dreamer FM. This episode was written and produced by me. Chris Hustledge is our co-producer. Music was curated from freemusicarchive.org and Song Freedom. Links to artists and tracks are in the show notes. Links to my guests this week are also in the show notes. Be inspired by the work of Brandon and Isaac. And check out the YouTube shows where you can see David and Clark reporting on various movie and geek culture. Links are in the show notes. Remember to support our sponsors. When you use the links we share or invest in their services, you in essence support the show. Go to songfreedom.com slash radio to unlock a standard Go level license worth $30. And if you do documentary, wedding, or commercial video work, be sure to visit learnstory.org to learn more about the Muse storytelling process by Still Motion. Use the offer code radio and you'll save $47. We thank Muse and Song Freedom for their support i way down here Hey folks, every week I ask and I mean it in every week if you love the show and you want it to grow please go to iTunes and leave a rating and review. I can't emphasize enough how important those reviews are. So do me a huge favor and leave a review and rating today If you have comments or questions about the show, you can email me at RadioFilmSchool at gmail.com join the discussion online at facebook.com/radiofilmschool. You can follow the show on Twitter at Radiofilmschool and you can follow me at Daredreamer FM. That's all for this week. Next week we have part two in our short end series about actors, agents and managers. Oh my. Thanks for listening and remember if the story sucks, I don't care what you shot it with or cut it on. Alveter Zane.
4: I'm half fed down here on old parchment farm. Baby please don't go.
1: I had a great conversation with Isaac about the Cohens. It would help to give you some context as to who Isaac is. Isaac's work is phenomenal and he's a true student of film and cinema. He runs a sort of artist-in-residence program in Atlanta, where filmmakers from around the country are invited to come and live for a couple years as they work on personal work. While they're there, they fellowship with each other, they do Bible studies in small groups, and they learn about filmmaking from Isaac. And they watch lots and lots of movies. He calls it Thunderdome. There will be links to it in the show notes if you're interested to learn more. He's passionate about the craft, and he knows a ton. You'll be hearing from him in the future episodes for sure. What is about to follow is an excerpt from my conversation with him where we talk about that coin toss scene with Anton Chigurh and the gas station attendant in No Country for Old Men. If you want to hear my entire 22-minute conversation about the Coens with Isaac, as well as my entire Coen Brothers conversation with Clark Wolfe and Brandon McCormick and David Griffin, over an hour of film geek goodness about the Coens, you can get it in two ways. First, if you subscribe to the show on iTunes, you'll see it in the feed a day or two after this episode has posted. It'll be there for about a week before it disappears. If you're a Daredreamer FM Premium member, you'll have permanent access to that and all of our other bonus episode segments. Just go to daredreamer.fm slash join to learn about becoming a member. In doing so, you help support the show as well as get access to resources to help you grow in your crafting career. Now let's hear my discussion with Isaac about the iconic coin toss scene. Enjoy. I was just watching the uh, the scene from No Country for Old Men where Anton Chigurh, played by Javier Bardem, is in the gas station with the old guy. Uh,
8: I watch that, like, seriously every couple weeks. <laughs> like, I genuinely watch that on YouTube all the time. It's, like, well, one of my favorite scenes in film.
1: Why do you watch it so much? What's that? Why do you watch it so often?
8: Oh man, the acting, the directing, the sh- It's just a perfect scene in my opinion. And I so I read the script of No Country for Old Men. And one of my favorite parts of that scene, even before I read the script, is the point where he puts down the uh, cashew wrapper and then it cuts to the cashew wrapper and it's like slowly unraveling.
1: Yeah, I noticed that. I was yeah. And it's
8: and it like makes you feel so many things when you see it. Like it's just like kind of makes you squirm a little. And what's funny is I I read the script and that's in the script. It is. No. <laughs> and I was like, "Whoa." And then another thing is like even small little things of like the the old man like in the script it says he turns his head, looks away, coughs, and then says, you know, "What are you doing here? What do you want?" And he does that like on the film. So it's just funny. And I've heard something about the Cohen brothers is anytime their actors like improvise after the take, they're like, hey, that was really good. You know, you did a good job, but let's stay with the script. Apparently, they're like word for word script people, which is really interesting, too.
1: Yeah, that is interesting. Um, the one thing I, you were talking about how they're subtle, and I was, I brought up that scene because I, I wonder if this is in the script, um, but there is this, because um, you know, the old man starts asking Sugar um, all these questions. Mm-hmm. They that, that you can tell are annoying uh Chigurh. and he asked right. him, he asks him one question, and then and Chigurh kind of like pauses and swallows, um, yeah, oh. like like what did you just ask me uh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying
8: like is it as if while he was swallowing the cashew, he got it down the wrong pipe, exactly because he was so shocked of it, like. <laughs> and it's oh man
1: is that in the script but do you know
8: i i'm not sure
1: honestly it's,
8: um, oh it's so it, good
1: but that's one of those things that like i don't know if they directed that or if sugar improvised that but it was it was like one of the things that added tension to that to that script um and I mean to that scene
7: um
8: oh, oh my gosh yeah for real
4: well, I got to close now.
7: You live in that house on the back?
4: Yes, I do. You lived here all your life? This is my wife's father's place uh, originally. You married into it? We lived in Temple, Texas for many years. Raised a family there in Temple. We'd come out here about four years ago you married into it. That's the way you want to put it?
7: I don't have some way to put it. That's the way it is. What's the most you ever lost on a coin toss? Sir? The
4: most you ever lost on a coin toss? I don't know. I couldn't say. Call it. Call it? Yes. For what? Just call it. Well, we need to know what we're calling it for here.
7: You need to call it. I can't call it for you. It wouldn't be fair.
4: I didn't put nothing up.
7: Yes, you did. You've been putting it up your whole life. You just didn't know it. You know what date is on this coin? No. 1958 it's been traveling 22 years to get here and now it's here and it's either heads or tails and you have to say call it
4: look, I need to know what I stand to win everything how's that? you
7: stand to win everything, call it
4: all right heads then Well done.
7: Don't put it in your pocket, sir. Don't put it in your pocket. It's your lucky quarter.
4: Where do you want me to put it?
7: Anywhere not in your pocket. What will get mixed in with the others and become a coin? Which it is.